you'll have seen over you know the last decade plus that a lot of people with Parkinson's are doing boxing or dance or yoga or walking or doing lots of things just to be active. In many cases, we encourage people to do something that they've never done before because the brain has an amazing ability to find new circuits to solve problems. Like, well, my brain circuitry is not working this way, but if I play the violin, I never played the violin before. If I box, I never boxed before. You're retraining your brain. You're, you're opening up new pathways for your brain to be facile, to adjust to the Parkinson's disease. I cannot overemphasize just how important exercise is to people with Parkinson's. And so in addition to saying, be seen by a neurologist, take your medications with regularity for the time frame that works for you, also get out there and exercise. Welcome to Aging in Style with me, Lori Williams. I'm an optimist by nature, and I believe you can follow your dreams at any age. My grandmother's journey with dementia ignited a passion in me to work with seniors. I've spent the past 13 years learning about seniors and aging. In my mid-50s, I followed my own dream and founded my company, where I use my expertise to help seniors locate housing and resources. On this podcast, we cover all aspects of aging. Join us each week to meet senior living experts and inspirational seniors who are following their dreams. The fact is, we're all aging, so why not do it in style? Welcome to Aging in Style. I am so glad that you joined us today. We have a great show for you talking about Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease, or PD as it's called, is a neurodegenerative disorder that affects 1 million Americans. Incidence of this disease will increase with age, and an estimated 96% of people with PD are diagnosed after the age of 50. This is the perfect time to talk about it because April is also Parkinson's Awareness Month. So we are going to talk all about Parkinson's, learn about what causes it, what the treatment is, and we have the perfect guest for that today. Joining us is John Lear. He is the CEO of the Parkinson's Foundation. John played a key role in merging two legacy Parkinson's organizations into the Parkinson's Foundation in 2017, and he's going to tell us all about that and how that came about. But since joining the foundation, fundraising revenue has grown each year by double digits, allowing the foundation to greatly expand its mission programs. So excited to have John here as our guest. So welcome, John. Thank you, Lori. It's a pleasure to be here today. Great. I'm so glad you're here. So why don't we just kind of jump in with some of the questions people have? What exactly is Parkinson's symptoms, causes, all that kind of stuff? Sure. So Parkinson's, uh, as you as you mentioned, is what we call a neurodegenerative disease. That means it really takes place in your neurons, degenerative, it's progressive, which means it gets worse over time. And uh, what happens in Parkinson's is that um, the dopaminergic neurons, primarily in your brain, you start to lose those dopamine neurons. Um, And dopamine is really critical for lots of body functions, including movement, mood, you know, motivation. Um, and so losing dopamine neurons is, is really complicated. Because the early symptoms of Parkinson's are related to movement, Parkinson's is often called or referred to as a movement disorder. Although I would say in the last 20 years, we now know that so many other systems of the body are affected, in, affected including cognition, mental health, GI, sleep, Senses. So it really does have an effect on the entire body. But when somebody is 
um, initially experiencing Parkinson's, what they will see is usually what we call a resting tremor. Uh, one of their hands or arms or legs or feet will start to uh, start to shake a bit, and it's involuntary; it just shakes. There are people who have um, resting tremors or, or shaking that doesn't lead to Parkinson's. So it's not just that alone. It's really a combination of um, symptoms. So it can be the resting tremor. It can be rigidity of movement. It can be slow movement, loss of a sense of smell, kind of like with COVID. It's one of the things we see early on in Parkinson's that people tend to lose their sense of smell and taste. And, uh, you know, walking and gait issues, balance issues. Those are the things that are, are the early signs and symptoms of Parkinson's. As it progresses, people will start to see maybe, but not always, some cognitive uh, function loss, a lot of apathy, depression, anxiety. Those are because of the disease, um, not just necessarily as a result of the disease. Dopamine neurons are really important for you know, mental health and motivation. One of the things we say about Parkinson's disease is that no two people will be affected the same. Some people will have very rapid onset. Some people will have a very slow progression over time. Some people will have cognitive involvement. Some people won't. So it really is a mixed bag. Those are some of the early signs and symptoms. Okay. What causes it or do we know what causes it? Yeah, it's a really great question. It's one one of the big unknowns in Parkinson's disease. So what we say is that Parkinson's for most people is idiopathic, which is a fancy word for saying we just don't know what causes it. We have learned over the last two decades plus that there is a genetic component to it. And the Parkinson's Foundation is running a very large international study to understand the genetics, uh, the genetic causes of Parkinson's. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But about 10 to 15% of people living with Parkinson's are likely to have a genetic cause. There is a, a strong indication that there are environmental triggers And the Veterans Administration of the United States recognizes that people who were exposed to napalm during the Vietnam War may have an increased incidence of Parkinson's. There's some connection to some um, agricultural chemicals like paraquat uh, that have an increased risk, uh, you know, note an increased risk of uh, Parkinson's disease. And then the other thing, too, is um, there's just natural aging. Somebody has once said that if we all live to be 140 years old, we would all end up with Parkinson's because there's just a natural depletion of dopamine neurons in the body. But there's no one cause for it. And there's a lot of research looking at to, you know, the interaction between these three areas, uh, genetics, environment, and just natural aging. Thank you for that. If someone's diagnosed with it, how is it treated? Yeah. So as I mentioned, the biggest issue with Parkinson's is you lose dopamine in your brain, but also throughout other parts of your body. Dopamine is concentrated in the brain in a section of the brain called the substantia nigra. And if you look at brain scans, you can see that the substantia nigra starts to get depleted over time. So the mainline therapy, the mainline way to treat Parkinson's disease is to replace dopamine in the body. And this was a, a major breakthrough back in the 1960s and early 70s. So what we call dopamine replacement therapy. It's taking medications, oral pills. The generic name is carbidopa, levodopa, um, but most people take what's called Cinemet. And what that does is it restores your motor function for a period of time. You have to take it with some regularity. 
I would say most people have to learn their own bodies again, right? You know, like, should I take it here at this time? Should I take it with this food? Should I take with that food? And we've learned a lot about, you know, the best way to take the medication over time. That is the main therapy to address the motor symptoms. Um, Obviously, there are psychological mental health issues. And so there are new drugs that have come out on the market that are available to everybody, not just people living with Parkinson's. So if people are suffering from depression or anxiety, um, we do recommend, you know, go see a professional mental health person. Maybe it's talk therapy. Maybe it's some combination of talk therapy and medication. And there's a lot better medications on the market now than there were 20 or 30 years ago. So those can be very helpful to people. Some people with Parkinson's will experience what we call hallucinations. There's a lot of debate about just how many people will have those in their lifetime. Not everybody has hallucinations, but there are there is some percentage of people who will. And new medications have come on the market in recent years that uh, mitigate the hallucinations for people with Parkinson's. So, and then the other treatments are uh, two. One, there's a surgery option, which is called deep brain stimulation. That's where they will take metal probes and put them into your brain. And that has shown efficacy in helping people restore function. There are some complications on it. It's brain surgery. So, uh, but it is an option open to people with Parkinson's. Um, it has shown benefit. Anybody who's considering deep brain stimulation should really have a, a good discussion with their doctor. Uh, to ask her or him, you know, is this the right option for me? And then also talk about it with their, their families. The last thing I will say is one of the biggest um, things we've learned about Parkinson's in the last decade plus is the importance of exercise in Parkinson's. A decade or, or so ago, the recommendation was for people not to exercise because of concerns about falling or, you know, injuring yourself one way or the other through exercise. But what we have found is that exercise has just enormous benefits for people with Parkinson's. And people will say, well, what kind of exercise? Anything that gets you moving is good uh, to start with. Anything that gets you slightly out of breath is also considered to be really good. You want to be slightly what they call epoxic. And so you'll have seen over you know, the last decade plus that a lot of people with Parkinson's are doing boxing or dance or yoga or walking or doing lots of things just to be active. In many cases, we encourage people to do something that they've never done before because the brain has an amazing ability to find new circuits to solve problems. Like, well, my brain circuitry is not working this way, but if I play the violin, I never played the violin before. If I box, I never boxed before. You're retraining your brain. You're, you're, you're opening up new pathways for your brain to be facile, to adjust to the Parkinson's disease. I cannot overemphasize just how important exercise is to people with Parkinson's. And so in addition to saying, be seen by a neurologist, you know, take your medications with regularity for the time frame that works for you. Also get out there and exercise. Wonderful. And it's, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that about exercise and learning new things. We did a podcast episode on keeping the brain healthy and fighting right. off dementia. And everything was about exercise and, and moving. Even if you are in a wheelchair, you can still move, move your arms and, and get your heart rate up in that way. And again, learning new things, learning a new language, you know, just continuing. We, we can still do these things as we age and we should. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the challenges with Parkinson's disease is it occurs uh, later in life for most people. There is what we call young onset Parkinson's disease or YOPD. 
only about four or five percent of people who have Parkinson's will be diagnosed before age 50. So for the vast majority of the 1 million Americans who are living with this disease, it's happening later in life in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And more recent research is showing that really it's happening in their 70s and 80s, you know, much later in life than we initially thought. So, you know, that's a time when people are usually retiring or families, uh, children are moving out of the house. And Parkinson's can be really socially isolating. It's a, it's a disease that fortunately forces people inward. And one of the great things about exercise is you can go to a boxing class, you can go to a yoga class, uh, you can go to a dance class. And, and not only are you getting the benefit of exercise, but you're also getting the benefit of being around a lot of people. Now, I understand we're coming out of COVID and during COVID, it was particularly challenging for people with Parkinson's like it was for so many people who are living with, you know, chronic diseases. Um, but as we sort of emerge from, um, uh, from COVID, you know, the opportunities to get back out there and, and not only exercise, but exercise in a socially meaningful way is really important. Yeah, we saw a lot of people decline because of the isolation. It's, you know, very interesting to see what not being able to socialize with others, what kind of effect that has on all of us. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's uh, we're coming out of the winter. It's been cold. We've all been inside. And those few early days of spring where it's warm out and you get out there and you feel you feel yourself coming back to life a little bit, right? Exactly. So, you know, and that's for people who don't have a progressive degenerative neurological disease. So I really do encourage people just get out there, be out in the sunshine, you know, always be careful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, always, always have a contingency if, if you fall or something happens, but um, just being active is so important. Absolutely. What, and you've kind of hit on this a bit, but what can people who are diagnosed, how can they live a better life? And I know exercise is a big part of that and continue to be social, but what else would you recommend? For most people, I would say, make sure you have a good doctor, somebody that you trust, somebody that you feel, you know, have lots of confidence in, because there are a lot of dark days and dark nights for people living with Parkinson's disease. It's not, you know, we like to tell people you can have a good quality of life with Parkinson's disease, and we believe that. But we also know that the reality of the disease is it's a lot of lonely days and lonely nights. You know, a lot of people with Parkinson's have sleep issues, so they'll be up at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, and anybody who's up at four o'clock in the morning, like I was last night, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> you know, it's, it's never fun. <laughs> no, it's never fun. And you're kind of like, why am I awake at four o'clock in the morning? So I think it's, uh, it's important for people to have a good, good doctor, good care to set goals, right? Even though you have Parkinson's disease, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't aspire to do the things that you want and do in life. You may just have to have some strategies to negotiate those, but, you know, make plans, live life, right? I, I think the other thing too is not everybody has a spouse or a partner or, you know, a loved one in their life. And for people who don't with Parkinson's, that's really particularly challenging. But um, if you do, if you have a, a spouse, a husband, a wife, a partner, children, bring them into your into your care regimen. We find that people who have a partner do much better than people who don't. You know, people who have a care partner. Um, we did a study recently that showed that you know women with PD who don't have spouses or whose who spouses have passed away really they, their outcomes are not as good as those who who do have a care partner. So if you can, we consider Parkinson's a family disease, right? It's not just the person who gets the disease, it's everybody who's affected by the disease. And so we do a lot with care partners. We have a whole training course for, you know, how to be a care partner to somebody with Parkinson's. One of the things we say is make sure to um, adhere to self-care, right? 
it's tough caring for somebody who has Parkinson's. It's, you know, it's a lot of effort. And, you know, so you have to take care of yourself. You have to make mind your own mental health because only by doing that will you be able to really help the person living with Parkinson's. You got to take care of yourself and you got to take care of them. So I think those are really fundamental. And then adhering to your medical regimen is really important for people with Parkinson's. You get off your meds or you're not taking your meds on time. Um, that can really, that can lead to a lot of issues. One of our biggest initiatives at the Parkinson's Foundation is our hospitalization initiative. About one third of the million people living with Parkinson's will have a hospitalization at some point during the year. It may not be because of their Parkinson's, it may be something else. Again, you know, our population tends to be older, so they may be going into the hospital with more regularity. And what we have found is that when people go into the hospitals, medication regimens are not always adhered to by the, the staff. And it's not, not anything deliberate or malicious. It's just that they may not know about the importance of making sure that people with Parkinson's get their medications on time. So we have a whole hospital initiative to make sure that one in the electronic medical system, somebody is noted to be having to have Parkinson's, right? So everybody on the clinical team knows this person has Parkinson's. If they're going into surgery, they still have to have their medication dosed at the proper time or um, making sure that people are adhering to it. So again, another really important thing that we, we do, you know, care partners can be very helpful in ensuring that as well. Great advice. Tell us about the Parkinson's Foundation. And I have gone and looked at your website. You have an excellent website, lots of great resources, but tell us about the foundation and how it was started. So the Parkinson's Foundation is the result of two legacy organizations, as you mentioned at the top of the program. One was founded in New York in 1957, and the other one was founded in Miami in 1957. So it's interesting that two, the, the, the two legacy organizations were founded in the same year by different people. I believe the reason for that is that at that time, a lot more was being learned about Parkinson's. You know, it, was, it went from being a disease that not many people knew about to a disease that more people knew about. And then with that knowledge, these two legacy organizations said, let's do things to help people live well with the disease. Probably for many decades, they were maybe aware of each other, but didn't interact with each other until the internet age. And then they became much more aware of each other as so many other Parkinson's organizations across the country started to learn about each other. For some period of time, you know, they competed very strongly against each other, right? You know, <laughs> the Miami organization was really much more focused on care, improving care, care standards. The New York organization was much more focused on the underlying causes of the disease, the basic biology of the disease. So where the Miami organization built a, a network of centers of excellence and funded those to improve care, the New York organization funded academic researchers to understand the disease better. And then, you know, around 2015, board members from both organizations said, hey, we should come together and be one organization. Um, we can speak with one voice. We'll get greater efficiencies. We'll bring complementary programs and services together. And we won't fight over funding, you know, fundraising, which is always an issue in, in, our, in our world. You know, the timing was right. There were some visionary folks on the board. And we had this new organization that officially came together in 2016. I was then hired to come in and lead the new organization to merge the two together. Our motto at the time was one plus one has to equal a lot more than two. And so we began building out the organization to go from being sort of a national organization with two big, you know, offices, one in New York and Miami, to truly being a national organization. So uh, we went from 
about, let's say, 80 staff to 150 staff now. People might think, oh my goodness, that's a lot of staff. But I can tell you that the amount of money we put into our programs, which is what really matters, has increased significantly over the last few years. So about last year, 87 cents on every dollar went directly to programs serving uh, people with Parkinson's, which in our world, that's a very good, uh, what we call mission ratio. So we looked at all of our programs following the merger and we said, you know, we really focus on three main areas. One, we focus on research to understand the underlying causes, try to understand the basic biology, to try to figure out ways to develop new drugs and therapies that will benefit people. Um, so that's one key area of focus. The second is care. As I mentioned, we have uh, an entire network. It's actually a global network of what we call centers of excellence. Uh, these are outstanding medical institutions that you would think uh, of, you know, like Harvard and Johns Hopkins. In Texas, we have Baylor is a center of excellence for us. So people in Texas get outstanding care through Baylor. They get outstanding care everywhere, but Baylor is our one uh, center of excellence right now. We like we hope to have a lot more in Texas as we go forward. Um, but care and focusing on how do we make sure that people get the very best care in Parkinson's, right? So we're always looking at, hey, if you do this, you get a better outcome. If you do that, you get a better outcome. So that's really what our global network is all about, our global care network. And then third is education. And education is really about patient and care partner and family education. I often say that people are, are probably, you know, one of the things that we do in the quietest way is, you know, somebody might have notice, begin to notice a little tremor. And so they find our website and suddenly they go from a period of, uh, you know, maybe a, a position of anxiety to, oh, okay, now I think I know what this is. And even if it is Parkinson's knowing about it and being able to read about it and having all those resources reduces anxiety. I mean, it's not anything anybody wants to hear, but if you know what you're dealing with, then you're in a much better position. And so, so much of what the foundation does is around educating people with Parkinson's, their care partners, their families about what the disease is, what they can expect and how to live as well as they possibly can with it. That's wonderful. And I know we, you talked a little bit about fundraising, like the Alzheimer's Association has the big walk they do. What does sure. the, what does Parkinson's okay. do? <laughs> well, we, have a big, we, have a, we do a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we have a big walk too. We call it okay. movie day, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, when I first started the organization, I was like, are we moving people all over the country? No, but what, <laughs> moving, what moving day is all about is it's a traditional walk. We have about 45 of them around the country. They are volunteer and staff driven. Um, so we have amazing volunteers all over the country that help us with our moving day walks. They usually take place in a large city uh, once a year, whether it's in our spring season or our fall season. You know, we have a couple walks in Texas. We have one in San Antonio, walks all over the rest of the state. So walks are a really big part of what we do. We have a new, um, what we call a peer-to-peer fundraising program, which is called Parkinson's Revolution where we get people on stationary bicycles to ride and help raise funds for Parkinson. Um, And then we do a lot of other things, you know, in in outreach to people who are uh, generous to us that want to help us with our our mission programs. But it's really our walk, our our Parkinson's revolution. Uh, We do a lot of smaller events. We do a lot of events where we bring people together. It's not even a fundraising event. We just bring people together for education and, uh, and resources and support. And uh, so we're very active um, out in the community. We, um, we have divided ourselves up into five regions. 
Within those regions, we have 17 what we call chapters. Those are um, not bricks and mortar chapters, but they're virtual chapters. There's staff and there's advisory boards. You mentioned you're in Dallas. So we have a Southwest chapter, which, which encompasses all of Texas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. And we've got staff that work that, volunteers that are in, in that area to help us bring our mission forward to all people living with Parkinson's and affected by Parkinson's in that area. So people can go on your website if they're trying to find their local chapter, they can find it there for resources and maybe if they want to volunteer as well. Absolutely. And we really encourage that. Um, so our park, our website is called parkinson.org. That's the word Parkinson. It doesn't have an apostrophe or an S and then .org. And there's a wealth of information about how to get involved uh, as a volunteer, how to understand Parkinson's, whether you're living with or whether you think you might have or whether you're caring for somebody with Parkinson's, and then just all sorts of other uh, great information that is, is helpful and useful to people living with the disease. Okay, great. And we will be sharing the website with all of our social media. And then also on my website, we'll have a link there too. So we want to make sure people can find you. One last question, because I know people have asked me this before. Researchers, are they working towards a cure for Parkinson's? Yeah. Do you think we're going to see that anytime soon? <laughs> well, so I do, I believe very firmly that we will end up having a cure for, for Parkinson's disease. I, uh, I worked years ago in um, cystic fibrosis, which was a, it, which is a very difficult disease. It primarily affected, you know, you're born with it for, for many decades. People did not live very long lives. Um, and the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation persevered in understanding the basic biology of the disease first, um, improving care at the same time, and then really investing in um, drug discovery and development to understand to help fix the symptoms of the disease and then ultimately the underlying disease. That's pretty much the playbook that we're working from in the Parkinson's. And then cystic fibrosis in the last couple of years came out with a couple of new drugs that have really changed the face of cystic fibrosis from an ultimately fatal pediatric disease to a disease where you can expect to live well into adulthood if you take these medications. So I learned a lot when I was at that foundation, and I believe that model is applicable to Parkinson's. Now, Parkinson's is more complicated than or complex than cystic fibrosis. It's a brain disease. Cystic fibrosis is one gene. There are multiple genes. There may be other factors like the environment and just the natural aging process. The uh, Parkinson's is the place where we're trying to get medication is in the brain, um, and there's this thing called the blood-brain barrier, which does an excellent job of keeping, uh, keeping pathogens out of your brain, but it also does a good job of keeping medications out of your brain. So I'm a believer that we need to spend a lot of money on research. We need to invest in research as much as we can to understand what's the best and fastest way that we can find symptom control and then ultimately correcting the, the basic uh, defect. I believe that the solution for Parkinson's will ultimately be a medication or a series of medications. And we need the best minds working on this that we can get. And uh, I think uh, there's, we've learned so much over the last two decades. We now know what the main culprit is uh, in Parkinson's, this protein called alpha-synuclein, which is in your brain and it kind of takes over your brain. Uh, and if we could roll back out alpha synuclein with some medications, that would be a huge advance for us. 
If you look at Parkinson's disease and you look at some other diseases, given our patient population, we can be doing a lot better in terms of investing in research. Uh, that's not to take away from other diseases. I want all diseases to get as much research funding as they possibly can. But I think we can do better in Parkinson's. And I think with increased funding, increased investment in outstanding researchers, um, we will ultimately get to the cure that we're seeking. Excellent. I know so many people um, working with seniors, as I do, that have Parkinson's or their lives are affected, their spouse has it or someone else in their family. So that's wonderful news. And I'm glad we have the Parkinson's Foundation as a resource. And I'm so thankful that you are on the show today so we can share your information and share the website and hopefully reach a whole lot more people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one one thing I just want to mention um, is that we have a helpline. The number for it, it's free, it's toll-free, it's 800 4 the number 4, P-D-Info, so 800-4-P-D-Info. And anybody anywhere in the world can call that number uh, during U.S. business hours, and they will find on the other end of that call a nurse, a social worker, a health educator who's an expert in Parkinson's care. And if you have any concerns or questions that you might have a diagnosis for Parkinson's or you already have a diagnosis and you want to get some more information, our helpline is an incredible resource to both people living with the disease and people affected by the disease. So I really encourage people to call our helpline. John, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. What wonderful information you have shared with us. I've learned so much in the last 30 minutes that we've spent together. And I know this information will benefit the families out there who are are dealing with this, who have a family member diagnosed with Parkinson's or they themselves have been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, The information, I do want to pass that on again. It's um, for the Parkinson's Foundation, the helpline number is 1-800-PD-INFO, and the website is parkinson.org. You can also find information on my website, which is lauriewilliams-seniorservices.com. Please be sure to share this information with friends and family members who have Parkinson's or recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And please be sure to follow the podcast. Just hit follow and follow us. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. And we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.